Hey Rockheads, crank up the AC, set the cruise control to 65, and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 228 with guest Brett Updegraff, recorded live Monday, April 9th, 2007. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net. Training developers to work smarter, and now bringing the just-in-time team system class with Joel Semeniuk on-site for your development team. Online at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Code Magazine the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who doesn't want to be just like Imus when he grows up, Carl Franklin. Thank you very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin here in New London, Connecticut, halfway between Boston and New York. On the East Coast of the United States of America. And Richard Campbell, my co-host, my partner in crime out there in Vancouver, British Columbia, on the West Coast of Where the it's North warmer. American continent. It's warmer and nicer here. That's what you think, pal. Well, did you see that uh, Vancouver ranked number three in the world, best place to live? Yeah, especially among people who take magic mushrooms for breakfast. <laughs> I only ever got them on my feet, man. Honest. <laughs> So, man, we've been busy. A show every day of the week. That's the way I like it. Pretty much. <laughs> we had Mondays. We had .NET Rocks on Tuesday. Run As Radio yesterday. Another .NET Rocks today. We got uh, DNR TV and Hansel Minutes. That's six. That's too many days. And uh, Rory's show, sort of uh, the, the smartest man in the world, sort of got is taking a couple of weeks off until I get some more help around here. Right. And... Uh, that's just the way it goes. Hey, I got a, you know, uh, we're doing this uh, ORM Smackdown panel at DevTeach in right. Montreal coming up here in May. That's May 14th to 18th in Montreal, Quebec. Our fine friend JR right. will be there. So Ayande Rahin and uh, Ted Neward have agreed to uh, have a sort of a hardball style uh, kickbox session and uh, on ORMs. So we got an email from Maximo Guerrero. Uh, and the subject is N-Hibernate. Setup is a pain in the ass. <laughs> What's up, Carl and Richard? Hey, guys, I love your show. I play your shows on random on my iPod, so I, it's like .NET rocks all day. Oh, wow. Hey, sorry, man. <laughs> you really need to do something else with your time. Hey, Carl, in Dev Days 04 in Boston, was that you playing the guitar? Why, yes, it was, as a matter of fact. Um, and I wasn't quite sure how that went over, because I think people were like, what the hell is this? A Why show? Why playing a guitar? What is this, a rock show? So, yeah, I did Acoustic Toy Boy. And, uh, you know, that's the theme song for .NET Rocks. Anyway, he says, okay, back to the actual reason for posting. I've been looking at all the ORM products like nHibernate, CSLA.net, and iBotis. My gripe is that, yeah, cool, they're good when you're starting out fresh. But when you have a database already written and, let's say, 15 tables, it's just a pain to configure and get up and running. 
the class and XML mapping, etc. I can see why they demo with the Northwind database and not AdventureWorks. L O L. <laughs> so I, I looked into tools that help you generate those files because all the data needed to generate this is already in your database schema and your listeners would love it. The free one is CODIS from adaptdev.com slash CODIS or shrinkster.com slash NSI, Nancy Sierra Indigo. This will generate nHibernate files and will even generate nUnit tests and mock objects. Carl, this should make you happy. We can tell how much you love writing tests. Hmm. That was kind of an interesting comment. I'm, nice poke. Somebody's okay. got the perception that you don't like test-driven development. I thought that was Billy Hollis. Yeah, that's Billy Hollis. That's not, I, you know, I just report the news. I don't make it. So, <laughs> <laughs> To quote Mark Miller. Yes. Uh, the other is GenWise from GenWise.com, G-E-N-W-I-S-E, or Shrinkster.com slash N-S-J, Nancy Sierra Juliet. It has a 30-day free trial. Another pseudo-ORM is Subsonic, found on CodePlex. This generates objects for all your tables and maps and relationships between objects. We actually had Rob Connery from Subsonic on the show sometime That's ago. right. He says it's not as robust as the ones mentioned up above, but it is nifty. Well, I guess that's enough rambling. Always listening, Maximo Guerrero. P.S. If you send me swag, sign it, and maybe I'll get a couple bucks for it in the future. Hmm, okay never thought of that i never thought of that uh dude i am gonna send you a signed pair of my underwear oh man and i'm serious (laughs) it's for that for that test comment (laughs) i got it i got an email from our friend rob windsor Okay. So Rob Windsor, the up in Toronto, he does the Visual Basics group there. Uh-huh. And a friend of the show for a long time. And he's talking about Dan Appleman's show again. Huh. Hey, Carl and Richard, just caught your interview with Dan Appleman. I sat in on Dan's discoverability talk at Connections Vegas, and I was so glad to see this kind of material at a conference. Every yeah. time I teach a course, I try to hammer home how important it is to learn the techniques that will allow you to find answers to problems quickly. Knowing how to effectively use tools like the Help System, Google, Reflector, and Rotor is just as important as knowing how to use .NET Amen, to build brother. applications. Yep. You betcha, man. I also wanted to give a personal plug for Dan's .NET search engine. It gives a much better hit ratio than plain Google, particularly when searching on newer technologies like .NET 3.0 or Link. Keep on rocking, Rob Windsor. Yep. I'm, I'm using it exclusively now for doing all my .NET research. I'm amazed that... We didn't know about that sooner. Like, what a yeah. great tool. So, you know, somebody needs to do some discoverability on Dan's website. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's too much. Conferences? Yeah, conferences. Dev Teach, we already mentioned. That's uh, May 14th through 18th in Montreal. And, of course, we're going to be all over TechEd in Orlando. That's June 4th uh, to 8th. June 4th to 8th, exactly. Uh, there's also some code camps coming up here. Right. The Dallas Code Camp is coming up really quick, April 21st. And if you want any more information on that, you can go to dallascodecamp.com or shrinkster.com slash NSD. Yep. And if you want to go to the day of .NET in Ann Arbor, that's going to be happening May 5th, uh, 2007. They got some good speakers there at the day of .NET. This it's is quite a lineup. Yeah. Patrick Steele, James Bender, Brian Sherwin, Martin Shoemaker, Keith Elder, Drew Robbins, uh, Daryl Hawley, Brian Prince, Steve Mushkat. So 
A lot of good people. Josh Holmes is going to be speaking there. Mark Miller is going to be speaking there. Mark Miller? Well, so yep. much for that. So much for that. So stay stay home. <laughs> and his wiser compatriot, Dustin Campbell. Yeah. If you have a choice to go see, go see Dustin. He's the man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Mark will love that. Oh, yeah. Mark needs that. Yeah. So, and just a couple more plugs for our friend Greg Brill at Infusion. If you're uh, young and energetic and looking to uh, live in Manhattan rent-free for a year and make a decent salary as a .NET developer working in the finance industry, you want to check out shrinks.com slash KH6 for that opportunity. And if Washington, D.C. is more your speed and you're an ASP.NET guru of gurus, there's a great gig for you available in D.C. at shrinkster.com slash MMJ. And uh, both of these guys are sanctioned by Richard and Carl. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We're going to have to get the stamp of approval. <laughs> All right, Richard, let's introduce our guest. An experienced software designer and developer, Brett Uptigraf works as a manager with the mid-market Microsoft practice of Crow Chiswick and Company, LLC. Brett was honored with the Microsoft MVP status for Microsoft in the category of Windows Server System, SQL Server. He's a Microsoft Certified Solution Developer, a Microsoft Certified Application Developer, and a Microsoft Certified Database Administrator. Brett is the president of the Indianapolis Professional Association of SQL Server, that's PASS, Users Group, as well as the co-author of the book Reporting Services 2005 in Action by Manning Publishing. Welcome to the show, Brett. Welcome, thanks. Indianapolis. That's where you're from? That's where I'm from. Cool. Yeah. Home of the Colts. Yeah, and the uh, the Speedway. Do you do much uh, race race car driving uh, watching? Not myself. Uh, my uh, family is uh, into it, my, my in-laws. Yeah. I'm not much of a gearhead, so. I wonder, Richard, do you think SQL Server and NASCAR go together in any way? Does that NASCAR? Yeah, I Think it'd be more of an indie product myself. So, so that shows how much I know. NASCAR and Indianapolis, like, don't they're they're two different things. Two different things. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, spot the guy from Connecticut. Yeah, I just offended a whole bunch of people in Texas. I know, but <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. So, uh, what do y'all want to talk about? Reporting services, I guess. Sounds good. Well, let's talk about your book. And Richard's just taking a breath there, ready to jump in, but. Uh, Let's talk about your experiences with uh, with reporting services. Well, uh, started out with uh, working here at Crow originally. Uh, gosh, back in the when reporting services was just an add-on to SQL Server 2000, uh, and it was in beta. I was checking it out for some client work that we were doing. Um, honestly, I wanted nothing to do with reporting tools. Uh, I happened to be taking one of my exams for SQL Server. Uh, probably one of my database administrator exams, and uh, somebody here thought it would be a good idea for me to kind of learn, you know, while I was studying for that, learn this reporting tool. Uh, I absolutely fell in love with it, really enjoyed working with it, uh, as opposed to uh, my previous experiences in some uh, reporting tools. Now, you're an, you were an application developer before you are so deeply immersed in SQL Server. Correct. So I've got to imagine you've had the Crystal experience. I had some some Crystal experience, not a lot. Uh, I worked with Active Reports as well, which was kind of in a VB6 environment. Right. If I remember right. Um, so I had... Uh, enough experience with that that I knew I didn't want to do it again. <laughs> Writing reports is always a it's an exercise in frustration, really, because it's never ever right. Correct. So it sounds like you were looking to do major reports, like big reports. 
Um, yeah, and a lot of, and just some of the, the the features that came with reporting services they were interested in with some of the subscriptions and so forth. And uh, in the consulting world, at least, uh, it almost doesn't matter what application we're building or customizing or working on, reporting is usually needed. Hmm. Uh, so it was a, a focus that our company wanted to, uh, you know, get some good roots and, and grasp on. It's useful to be good at it. Uh, when I was consulting, my viewpoint was always the guy who signed my check was the guy who used the report. Right. Yeah. Good to be in with that person. All right. Do you subscribe to the let's use a separate database for reporting, or do you just pay, uh, ping your reports off the, the same database that everyone else uses for transactions? Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's certainly a, a good topic because I think it depends on the situation. Um, you know, my pre- the preference always would be to have a separate database, a separate reporting database, which isn't always possible or easy to do. Um, it really kind of depends on the application. Uh, certainly the preference is to move that off of the transactional system. But you still have the challenge of the cost of moving it. Certainly, certainly. You know, um, I mean, there's a lot of different things you can do uh, with some of the database mirroring possibly to move it off and then you're just looking at a copy of it but at least you're not going against the you're going against a read-only version um, you know and then a lot of the stuff that I'm doing currently uh, involves we're building specifically data warehouses off of transactional systems and reporting off of that and so this is sort of the next step beyond just imaging the transactional server uh, for reporting purposes but transforming the data as well does that make you a, a fan of uh, the business intelligence components of 2005? Absolutely. I'm a huge fan of the, uh, uh, especially integration services. My experience in the last six to nine months has been more with integration services, which is the replacement for DTS, um, you know, as well as analysis services. So the three complement each other real, real well and work real well together. Man, you know, we got to start a sequel show. <laughs> it seems like a lot of our topics have been around SQL lately and and you know there's there's a, like a whole nother audience other than developers that are interested in this stuff too. But it, correct me if I'm wrong Brett, SSIS this is almost like a development tool for SQL Server as well because it's really about loading and transforming data. This is the kind of stuff that once upon a time we wrote in code. Correct. It certainly could be, yeah. I mean, its its sole purpose was to replace DTS and moving data from one place to the other. But they built it from the ground up. They didn't. Uh, it's it's not like DTS two. It's uh, you know, complete new product, um, and it's really to be able to play in the extract, transform, and load process of business intelligence uh, enterprise wide. Um, but yeah, there's. I mean, there's certainly a lot of. Uh, I do a lot of evan- evangelizing, if you will, within our company with integration services because there's. Very few developers that can't use this in some way for their applications, even if it's just to pull data in one time or if it's to, you know, set up uh, maintenance plans for the database or whatever. There's a lot of uses. Now, I mean, I always saw DTS as a sort of calm-oriented thing. It had ADO in it, lots of VB script. What's different in SSIS? SSIS is certainly more of a graphical, visual. You you move tasks and you see your workflows and your process flows and, and a little bit more visual. It's, it's a lot more maybe into that declarative programming type style where oh, yeah. you're not writing a lot of code, but you're setting a lot of properties and managing the rows of data and columns of data as they're going through. There are also script tasks where you can write in vb.net um, and, you know, pull in 
different pieces of code and so forth if you're wanting to manipulate the data along its path or or execute certain procedures. But it's uh it's uh, the biggest improvement I think is the is the graphical interface and the ability to do what used to be very complex things very quickly. One of the things I struggled with with DTS was packaging, was being able to put that sort of functionality into a nice can that I could call again and again. And you know, like you said earlier, developers often think they want to load data once, and in reality, they're going to load it a bunch of times. So it's worth putting it in something where they can keep it and reuse it easily. What in SSIS do they use to package that stuff up? Do I have to use their tools every time, or can I call it some other way? It's it's a really good point. I know my experience with DTS was it was always a nightmare to move something from one environment to another. So I might develop it on my box, and we need to move it out to production. And it was usually, uh, you know, a hassle to get it to production and to be able to package it and move it around. With with SSIS, um, your code is stored as an XML file. So everything that you do and manipulate is ultimately manipulating an XML file in the background. Nice. That XML file can be called from integration services or from a production environment directly, or you can import it into a database. Um, but the the neatest, probably the, one of the best features from a deployment perspective is the ability to use configuration files like you would in a, a .NET application. Um, so you can set a lot of your properties, including connection strings and so forth, in a configuration file so the deployment is certainly a lot easier to do now. You know, Brett, you mentioned mirroring as something you could do, but I, I hear a lot of people who use SQL Server say that mirroring is something that you could do. <laughs> and not something that I have done or that I yep. really love. Um, is that just me, or am I nope. getting on, am I onto something? I, 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 uh, you're probably onto something. I mean, I say could do. I don't have a lot of experience with it as well. It's very new. It came about with SQL Server 2005, at least the true mirroring concept. Um, and I don't think a lot of people are using it. Um, I, 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 I certainly see its value. Um, just haven't had the opportunity to use it um, in yeah. any of the work that I'm doing. Now, in environments that I've worked in, I've been perfectly happy with a backup restore cycle to uh, to set up my reporting database so that it's always a day behind. Sure. But I've always felt that was fine because you only care about the last complete day when you're reporting. Yep. Do you have a preferred mechanism when you want to keep those reporting data sets up to date? No. I mean, that's that's something that, Certainly, if you're if you're accept if you can accept being a day behind in your reporting, and depending on what you're using it for, that's probably the, the easiest thing to do. It's just you know backup restore or you know th- there's a lot of ways to do it. The database mirroring is going to be more to the to the minute to the second if you need actual data as it's in the system near that's real time. I've heard it called yes. yes. Yep. All right, so we've talked about a bunch of different technologies here that are about feeding reporting services. Yep. And I know you've had some experience with alternate other reporting tools. What's different in uh, reporting services? Well, the first thing that uh, I noticed that was different was kind of similar to the integration services was the user interface for reporting services. Um, and I certainly didn't want to learn a new tool, and I absolutely did not want to get in and have to write VB or VB.net code in order to manipulate, you know, where my fields are and what's going on. I wanted a nice graphical tool for that. Yeah. I did want the ability, however, if I need to call some custom uh, code or do something within the application or within the report, I would like the ability to write some .NET code or whatnot. Um, and, and that's what I really noticed with that is 
you want to build a standard report, you build your data set, you do it all within the Visual Studio environment, which I'm very familiar with and like the fact that I don't have to learn a new tool. Um, so I can set up my data set, uh, pull my data in, take a look at it, view it, all within Visual Studio, go, okay, I'm comfortable with this, build a report on top of that, laying out my table or chart or whatever it is, and run it. And if I find that there's you know, some things that I need to do with the data after it's been pulled from the database, maybe some custom logic on what color I want things to be or whatnot, that's where we can get into a little bit more programming side of reporting services. Do you, speaking of programming, do you uh, do you feel the expression syntax is good enough, or is there? I hate it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't say I hate it. It it certainly is a little bit frustrating in it, that any developer will find it frustrating coming yeah. from C sharp or VBnet. You know? Yeah, exactly. And I come from a C well, I come from a VB six and then C sharp background, and the expressions is neither. It's kind of a combination between JavaScript and VB and who knows what. Um, yeah, and it, it takes a little. Uh, the nice thing is, at least with the 2005 uh, reporting services, is that at least you get some notification, you know, that your syntax is wrong. So yeah. as you tab out of the expression, nice. you'll see it turns red instead of staying black or whatever. But, uh, yeah, a little bit frustrating in that respect, I think, in that it's not true C-sharp or a .NET language. Can you call an, an assembly from you it? Can, yeah, you can call an assembly, um, and you can... There's a couple different ways. There's a code window, if you will, within the properties of each report, and you can declare functions and methods within there, and I believe it's vb.net is the syntax you would use there. Uh, but you can also create your own assemblies in any .NET language and uh, call those from within as well. Right. So, I mean, at the very least, you could learn how to call assemblies yep. and then do everything in, in your own code. Yeah. And, it, and it depends on what you're wanting to do, because when you're just simply wanting to say, if the value is greater than 500, make this red, otherwise blue, you're probably yeah. not going to... Probably not going to make a DLL for that. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> Although you could, but you might could. take you less time, actually. But you, it's nice to see you have that kind of granularity that you can write in your sort of, quote, native yep. tongue down yep. to that individual feature on the uh, the page. I notice in your book, Brett, that um, there's a section on uh, writing your own, generating your own uh, RDL. Is that something that uh, you find people have a need to do? Uh, or was, did you just put it in there to be complete? The Well, actually, that, that was already in the book when I started with it, when I worked on the second edition. Okay. So I don't think I changed much of the content in there. Um, I've never found a use for that, though I have talked to people that are like, this is really what I need to do, hmm. and it's kind of the only answer for them. Just goes um, to show you. So Somebody always it, wants... It, it shows that you can do it. Um, reporting services similar to integration services, everything that you do within the design environment ultimately is state, stored in an XML file, which the file extension for reporting services is RDL. And so there's a specification for how that works, but there's no, um, there's no need to actually even use Visual Studio. You could use Notepad if you really wanted to you know, get down to that level and write your own reporting services reports just by creating the XML. So yeah. uh, that section of the chapter is to kind of show, hey, you, you're not stuck with the design environment. You know, if you're really wanting to use something else or uh, some type of third-party tool to generate and create reports. Cu custom code. This is what you were talking about uh, uh, in the expression discussion we just had. Um, let's j just let, let's repeat that because I think that's pretty important for people to understand what you can do with custom code. Okay, well, the custom code is going to be, you know, if you go into the report properties of your report, 
um, as I had mentioned, there's kind of a code window. Um, and that's really, it's just a, a tab that you click on that allows you to put custom code in there. So I might create a function, um, you know, uh, calculate number. And it's VBNet, and you said. Define that in there. And, then, and that sh- it is VB.net syntax. And then from within my report, for each row, like maybe it's a certain column that I'm wanting to do this for, I can actually just inline call. Uh, so instead of just pulling the field right from the database, I can do some logic and say pass it through this method first and get the result set from there. And that's what I want displayed on the report. Okay. So that's one way. The second way would be to create your own assembly files, and you would reference them in the References tab, which is right next to the Code tab in the Report Properties. And so you would just uh, specify the assembly name and um, instance name, and then you can call that from within your report. So in any expression, you can call these assembly files. I noticed there's both a report builder and a report designer. What's the difference? That's good. That's good. Uh, the designer is Visual Studio. It okay. is where you design what we'll call canned reports. And these are, you know, fairly complex reports that maybe have a lot of logic and different colorations and just a lot of different things going on. The report builder is uh, new with SQL Server 2005. And uh, the report builder is actually a client application, similar. It, it looks and feels like Office. Right. And its sole purpose is to build ad hoc reports. So on the fly, I just want to start dragging fields over and, and pulling data out of my data database. So in your work as a consultant, you're building an app for a client. You'll put a bunch of canned reports in using the designer and Correct. then also include Report Builder with the package so that they can add their own later on if they want. Correct, and there's another step that needs to go in there, and this is uh, it's also built within the Visual Studio environment, and it's called uh, Report Models. Uh, so in Crystal, I think they refer to it as universes, or right. business, business objects. Um, and r- really what that is is it's an abstract layer for the database. So, well, you know, if you're going against a, a database, the users don't need to know that the account... Uh, table has a you know address table joined to the customer and all that information. Uh, all they really care about is you know they know their they know their business. They know they want customers and addresses maybe just a part of that. Right. So, so um, just to, you could do sort of a metadata structure to limit what data is shown and yep. as well as handle all those joins so they don't mess it up. Correct. So that that has to be built ahead of time. But once that's built, then the users can start at you know building their own ad hoc reports through the report builder. We've got a lot of clients that we do that for where we're uh, implementing our data warehouse. We also expose a piece of that uh, through the report builder application. We've built the core models so we control what they're seeing and what they're not seeing and how they see it um, and, you know, make it available to them. Now, if you're building stuff with analysis services, isn't there a separate builder for analysis services as well? Analysis services, yes, to to build your OLAP cubes. uh, You do that also within the Visual Studio environment. Oh, okay. So it, the, the way you would get to all these is, you know, when you've installed SQL Server 2005 or the uh, uh, the projects, if you will, on, on your development server or development box, I guess, uh, you go to File New Project, and you'll have Integration Services Projects, you'll have Reporting Services Projects, and you'll have Analysis Services Projects all under a project type of business intelligence. Cool. Hey, let's talk about MIME HTML for a minute, MHTML. Um, there, there might be still a contingent of, of developers out there who don't really know what this is. And uh, one of the ways that you can export your report 
is as an MHTML file. T- let's talk. Let's talk about that a little bit. What's the, what's the benefit, and are the browsers all up for rendering it? And- yeah, I mean, the benefit certainly is that you can take your report as you're seeing it and save it to a HTML file, if you will. But it will import all the pictures and images uh, and so forth into one file. So you know, like if you went to a web page and said save as and saved it to your desktop, you might get another folder and images and scripts and all that stored separately. Hmm. It puts it all into one compact file. So all the images get MIME encoded, and then they right. get rendered appropriately. Right. It's a tidy way to do things. Uh, you mentioned earlier that the way you load data into reporting services is through the ADO.NET data set. Is that the only way? Oh, absolutely not. Um, I mean, we have a lot of applications that are pulling data from, um, you know, uh, OLEDB, from Oracle, from DB2 sources, um, where the data is isn't as important as, uh, I mean, you can pull data from various different sources. Right. So but, you're not limited to just using the ADO. But do you have to put them in, I think what Richard's asking is, do you have to put that data in a data set in order to get it into, uh, you know, or can you use a data reader or or some other uh, cursor-based thing? Correct. You've uh, uh, you Reporting services is customizable, and uh, I think it's uh, one of the, actually in my book, we talk a little bit about creating a pulling your data from a from a web service mm-hmm. uh, but you you have to customize reporting services so you're getting into writing some .net code and uh creating an interface for how you're going to manipulate and how you're going to get that data out of the box reporting services will support you know OLEDB ADO um, and a few others so the easiest thing to do is just pull it into a data set and that is the easiest thing to do yeah, yeah. just hand it over to them which is uh, convenient, but it really gets to this whole idea of query building, which is something I've always avoided like a plague in other reporting tools <laughs> because my experience has been they write crappy queries. I'd much rather write my own store procedures, get it massaged down to the set I want, and then hand it to a reporting tool. Yeah, Correct. How does that fit into the strategy with reporting services? Well, that's, and that's typically what I will do. We'll usually define our reports. Once we've defined the reports, we'll build store procedures if we're in SQL mode, uh, you know, if we're getting the data from SQL, uh, we'll build our store procedures to get the data as close to how we want it as possible to keep from, you know, having these really complex, you know, built queries and so forth. Uh, so that's how I prefer to do it, is to build a nice optimized store procedure that pulls the data. Um, I'll create a data set from within reporting services that uses that store procedure and then use that to lay out my reports. Um, it does have the ability in reporting services that you can just go in and point to the tables just like you would in Access, right. uh, that query builder, and it will create the the the, uh, the queries for you. I don't have a lot of experience in that because I'm more of a SQL guy and I like to have my hands on, you know, what my query is doing and how it's how it's written. As am I, and of course we just take that skill for granted that we'd much rather handle the data extraction ourselves and then say to the tool, use this. But mm-hmm. for the folks that aren't, comfortable with that the qbe exists yep you know when comparisons of web development components come into play vendors start tossing in cliches like complete tool set of controls superior performance empowering users and hosts of other buzzwords but at the end of the day what matters most to you the developer 
For our friends at Telerik, the answer boils down to simply getting your job done, like saving precious time by customizing stubborn controls at design time or skinning new applications in no time. And how about no browser compatibility issues? That's a big one. Take the Telerik Ajax offering, for example. The product was designed to quickly get you up and running with this new yet complex technology, and it just works. Forget about writing tricky JavaScript. Forget about making end-to-end modifications to your application. What's best is that you can count on a wide range of resources, sample apps, tutorials, active forums, and, of course, Telerik's renowned support team. After all, there is a reason why 89% of Telerik's customers choose to renew their subscriptions. Experience that for yourself by testing a trial version of the most reliable UI suite for ASP.NET at www.telerik.com. I've always thought of reporting services as a, a technology that works with IIS. It's about web distribution of reports, but there's more choice than that? Um, yeah, there, well, there, there certainly is. I mean, it does require, in its current version, it does require integ- or IIS um, in that the rendering of the reports is all managed within a web service and using IIS and all that good stuff. Um, there are some scenarios where you can use reporting services without IIS and without actually installing reporting services. In fact, you don't even have to have a license for SQL Server Really? if you use it in what's called local mode. And so this gets more on the .NET side. Um, if I'm building a .NET application, be it a web application or a Windows or smart client, I can drag over in, in Visual Studio 2005, and this is only available for with reporting services, or with 2005, is I can drag over the control, which is a report viewer control. And it's really okay. just, it's just a wrapper for reporting services. And if you use it in the local mode, it doesn't actually use the report server to render the reports, and it does it all locally. So you would actually build your report right there within your Windows client, if that's what you were, if you're using the Windows report viewer control in a Windows client, and you would define where you're going to get your data from. Right. It could be an XML mm-hmm. file. It could be a number of things. It could be a database that's local to the machine. It could be whatever. You would simply tie in that information and build your your query and your report all right there. And you're not actually using reporting services. And yeah, that's more so, along the lines of what ActiveReports.net does. Gotcha. Yeah. Yes. So, so that, at, at that point, the only thing that's from reporting services is the viewer control itself. Pretty much, yeah. And the and it uses the RDL specification. So it it is creating, it's actually creating an RDLC file. Uh, which is just, I think it stands for client, but it's just, or it's basically the local, localized version or local version of the report, report viewer control. And that RDL file is actually XML? It is XML. And what happens when you publish those? Because the XML, um, you can't just copy that XML file to a server somewhere and start reading reports. It doesn't work that way. Right. You have to actually publish it to the report server, which uses a web interface, but ultimately that XML is just going into a database. So when you install reporting services, you'll actually get a database called Report Server. And I've never found any need to have to go in and dig through those tables and look at them, but it's really the metadata for all the reports and for your application. I should specify, not for your application, but it's for your reporting application. So it's metadata for the reports. There's no actual data, um, like useful business data stored in there at all. It's all metadata about the reports. And once you've done that install, you don't need the RDL file anymore? You don't. 
Um, you publish it, and it's gone. I mean, ultimately, you source control it, and that's how we uh, integrates very well with, you know, SourceSafe or Visual Team System or whatever. Um, but ultimately, the RDL is really your design file. Once you publish it, you don't you have no need for that XML file or the RDL file. The same way that you don't really need your source code anymore once you compile your app. Correct. Well, that's cool because it means it's pretty easy to manage source code control for your reports. Correct. Yep. So, what are the different ways that you can manage reporting services? I know that you know you can use the report manager, mm-hmm. but are there other ways that you can uh, access reporting services? Yeah, the uh, the main way that people usually will administer, maintain, or manage uh, reporting services is through what's called the report manager, and that is a website that just interfaces to the web service for reporting services. So it's by default localhost slash reports, plural, R-E-P-O-R-T-S. And that will pull up kind of a portal. And anytime you deploy a report, it will, you'll you'll see it on basically in a folder structure on this website. And you also have the ability to go in and set permissions, change data sources um, from within this application and also set up things like subscriptions to reports and so forth. So that's the primary way that people usually do that. Uh, in some cases, in some small companies, that's also the way that people expose the reports to their end users. Hmm. They, they'll use that module. Now, it's, it's Windows authentication only. Right. Um, and so if it's a local network and it's just reports that are local and there's not a lot of users, some people will use that. It's um, certainly not as customizable. You know, when you get into some larger environments, they certainly want to do their own things. But it's a great way to manage and view. So the administrators can have the ability to see all the special stuff like, you know, delete and change data sources, whereas the, a read-only user would just simply see the folders showing up in there and be able to click on and run them. Right. There, There is another way to manage reporting services, and that's within the uh, new SQL Server uh, Management Studio. Oh, cool. So what in 2000, SQL 2000, was re- was used, uh, the Enterprise Manager, I believe it was called. Right. Uh, we have a new tool now that is this SQL Server Management Studio, and you can run queries from within there, so you don't need the additional tool of Query Analyzer. Uh, but you can also maintain all your databases. But if you connect to reporting services, you can actually maintain and do everything that you did within that portal. You can do it within... Um, the management studio as well. So the DBAs are kind of probably more accustomed to be using this tool as opposed to um, possibly the web client. Although that tool is Studio. I mean, it's the same Widby IDE yep. underneath that Studio uses the uh, the SQL Server Management tool. I got I got hooked on it in the beta. I started using it with 2,000 databases because yep. it was so much nicer to work in. Yep, absolutely. And uh, is there you can access uh, uh, through a web service too, right? Yes, and ultimately the uh, the portal that I was referring to is just a, a front end of that web service. So if you wanted to go into that web service, I mean, you can certainly within .NET code you could manage. You can call, make API calls to the web service and do anything. I mean, that's how everything is exposed. That's so cool. So the the portal is actually just making those calls. So you have the ability to integrate all of that functionality into your application. Yep, and and we've done that with some pretty uh, neat stuff with subscriptions, um, where you know there was some very specific. Uh, somebody wanted a, an application that allowed people to generate their own subscriptions on the fly. Well, we weren't going to expose the report manager to thousands of users to be able to 
maintain and manage their own subscriptions. So we actually just built that within um, the web. It was a .NET application. It was a web application, and we just built the logic in to say to to actually make those calls to create subscriptions to the reports. And you've said subscription to report a few times now. What does that really mean when I subscribe to a report? That means um, individually, if you're subscribing to a report, you're saying, I want this report sent to me somehow um, on this schedule. So there's a, lot of, there's a few different ways you can do that. Um, Out-of-the-box reporting services supports two subscriptions models. One is through email. Right, and then the other one is through a file share. So you can say, "I want this report to just show up in this file share on my set schedule." Um, the other nice thing about that, with those subscriptions, you can specify what format you want that report to be in. Do you want it in a PDF or Excel? Do you want it in MHTML? Do you want it in a comma-separated file? Uh, there's a lot of options there, and you can you can manage that. Um, you can also, and it's pretty easy to do. You can add on a what's called a, a custom delivery extension. So how is that report delivered? If it's not email and it's not file share, um, Microsoft has a nice sample online and we've actually modified it to work for kind of a production environment where it just sends it to a network printer. And We've got clients that like to have certain reports run uh, that automatically send stuff to a printer. So it might be, you know, somebody that bought our product in the last 90 days, we want to send them a thank you note. Right. And this report just automatically generates and sends the, uh, information to the printer so somebody all they have to do is pick it up and put it in an envelope and send it off i could see a fax interface like that too i I built a fax interface at one time we actually never used it but uh, i got it working in a development environment that was a lot of fun that is cool Uh, automated faxing like that has got lots of possibilities although i think the fax is falling falling by the wayside (laughs) now it's turning into more of a spam delivery system in my office than anything else Uh, we sort of briefly touched on this, but the sort of enterprise reporting environment, I always called the managed reporting environments, independent of any given application, because reporting environments, especially when you get into data warehousing, get much bigger than the actual uh, given applications. I, I'm presuming that's all web-based. Like, How good is SQL Server at creating a complete managed reporting space? Yeah, and I think that's a little bit, well... With Service Pack 2 of SQL Server, you can really start looking at that as an integration point into uh, SharePoint. So SharePoint uh, is the tool? Uh, right now, that's that's what I'm seeing. Uh, before there was SharePoint, there really wasn't anything but that report manager portal, and it's certainly not enterprise. You know, okay. It, wouldn't, it would mm-hmm. not work, and it really it's just intranet and so forth. So um, the, there's the ability in Service Pack 2, you can actually take reporting services and push it into a different mode and you you lose it you lose that portal that I was talking about before but then right. everything is done in SharePoint. Uh and it's it's pretty slick. There's a lot of really cool stuff that you can do in there. I'm not sure if that quite addresses what you were talking about, but there's nothing outside of that that I am aware of. Well, if I'm already using SharePoint, the fact that reporting services integrates with it is awesome. Yep. yep. The real and, question is is it worth setting up SharePoint just to get this feature? Correct. Correct, and I'm not sure if there is or not. Um, you know, one of the nice things with that Service Pack 2 add-on, you get a third, the ability to uh, subscribe reports to a third module, and that is it will automatically push those into document libraries of uh, SharePoint. So, so you could actually like output it as a Word document? And... 
Um, Word is not actually a delivery extension yet. Really? Um, so they do PDF, but they don't do they, Word. They do PDF, but they don't do Word. There's been a lot of talk about you know people wow. creating their own extensions. I, I'm not 100% certain, but I think they're looking at that for the next release of SQL Server. So, Well, and, it, and to be honest, this is only a version 2 product, right? Yeah, actually, Reporting Services was intended to come out with Yukon, which is SQL Server 2005. Back when it was going to be 2002. Uh, wherever, yeah. <laughs> so that was its original idea. The, the, what happened is the product was ready early. It was ready well beyond you know, when SQL Server 2005 was going to come out. And there was a demand for it. So they actually kind of went back and said, okay, let's make this work as an add-on for SQL 2000. Right. So when it came out with 2000, it was, you know, it was a version one of the product. Um, and they didn't make a lot of changes, though they made a lot of improvements um, from 2000 to 2005, you know, they really just kind of really developed the product into. I mean, it it is 2.0, but you know, uh, I, I I argue that it's kind of 1.5 in SQL 2005. Yeah, I think that's fair. It's like the 2000 edition was 0.9. Correct. And they certainly got more benefit having it out early to understand how people are going to use it and where their concerns were, so that they made a better 1.0 product. But it's still a very young product. And uh, it takes time to integrate with Office. I can see why that would come later. I guess SharePoint is the logical touch point on that. Yep. So what about security? What are the different ways that you can secure reports? Obviously, they're on the web. You've got yep. web security. You've probably got all the basic web uh, instruments there. But can you go beyond that? Yeah. The, uh, the out-of-the-box reporting services is strictly Windows authentication. So it's not real good out-of-the-box without a little bit of modification to, to use on the internet. Um, you can certainly make your reporting services environment to allow anonymous and things like that, but then you really run into some security concerns. Um, but you can customize the security model. So you can say, you know what, I don't want to use Windows authentication. I want to use forms authentication. Um, so you can do that and then expose it to the internet and use everything from within it would be a forms authentication. You can build your own custom uh interfaces, if you will. And Microsoft provides a really good sample and example, and there's a white paper out on converting reporting services from Windows authentication to Forms authentication for your .NET apps or for your you know, Windows or web applications. Um, I, I, I expect to see that they're going to probably move a lot closer into making that almost out of the box to use for Windows um, Forms authentication. Uh, in the future, because there's been such a demand for people want to know, well, how do I, you know, how do I put this on my website? How do I do this? How do I do that? So, so I'm going to tell you a little story, and I, maybe you can relate to it. I, I actually wrote an article about this literally 10 years ago. I called the Monday Morning Crunch, and it was my reporting system ran great, except every Monday morning, the system would drop to its knees. It would take an hour to generate a report, and when I did some analytics on it, it was because. 10 guys were running exactly the same report almost at the same time. They all arrived at their desks about 8.30. They all fired off the same report, mm -hmm. and it just killed the system. And my solution to it was that a clerk came in at 7.30, ran the report once, photocopied it 10 times, and left it in their inboxes. <laughs> uh, yeah. But it, and that backs me into this, how well does this scale? I mean, I know I'm working yep. against SQL Server, and for me, I'd write stored procedures around it, but I'm worrying about multiple instances of the rendering engine, all of that sort of stuff. 
Now, yeah. You know, before you answer that, I, I did talk to Bill Vaughn about this on DNR TV recently, and uh, he tells me that Peter uh, Blackburn has um, written some sort of tool that will uh, cache those reports. And I think it's freely available on a website somewhere. I'm going to have to check that out. That's that's interesting because there is an entire chapter, or at least half a chapter in the book uh, that I edited um, on because reporting services, when it was built, was built for to be used in enterprise. It was built to be scalable and to work its way out. And reporting services will cache and can cache reports. And that's one of the things that you can do from within that portal or the management studio is set caching um, attributes for each report. Uh-huh. So in your example of the Monday morning crunch, you know, you could set that report, and we've done this before, where we have some some reports that maybe are kind of long-running and take a while to run, but once they're run, the day doesn't change for another 24 hours. Right. So what we did is we said, okay, the first person that runs this in the daytime, you know, um, runs it, and then it caches it, and then everybody that runs it with these same parameters afterwards will automatically get that cache version, and it's very quick. Get it instantly, effectively. Yep. Um, which, you know, part of figuring out the Monday morning crunch was knowing what reports were being run and when. What kind of reporting do we get on reporting? Am I crazy? No, no, not at all. Not reporting at all. reports. Yeah. Or report <laughs> reports. I always ask people if they had an information system about their information system. Honestly, I'm having a brain fart right now. Um, I believe that it is available, um, but I honestly just can't even think. It's certainly not inherent in the the, uh, tool. Uh, You're not going to go to a page in the portal that says, show me the reports and when when they were run. Um, It does keep track of of the subscriptions and so forth from within the portal, but I think you probably have to read into the logs that are created. from. We may have to use that web service. Yeah. Yeah, I could I could see you. It's not that tough to instrument this thing. Like you have to go in and just here are the points. I'd be interested to see what's in the logs around this to see does it know when each report was run and so on. Mm-hmm. Is there a WMI interface? There is. So if there's WMI, I could probably plug into it with Mom or you know, there's a number of tools that it's mm-hmm. that can get me that data out. It's just not. I guess there's nothing built in to just say show me the what last reports are run. You know, I, I used to do diagnostics the old-fashioned way. I'd take a report out and just see who screamed. <laughs> Sometimes it took three months before they screamed. You found out, oh, that's actually a quarterly report. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, I, I apologize. I, I can't remember. I do a lot of stuff in the healthcare space, so we actually build in our own HIPAA-compliant logging of reporting. So we've built it into our you know into our reports that we separately log that in our own way right so based on hipaa not, compliance with yeah. a lot more elaborate rules there correct correct so i'm not sure inherently what comes with i think you would have to read into the logs or tie in wmi somehow um let's talk extensibility can you extend okay. reporting services is there an easy way to do that yeah absolutely and there's a there's a few different places where you would extend reporting services. So we talked about the security model. That's that's one of them. Um, you know, if you don't like or want to use Windows authentication, you can write your own security extension. Uh, it would be written, you know, you'd, uh, you would write that in .NET, um, create the appropriate interfaces, and uh, you could make it do whatever you wanted, basically. Um, that's one point. The other point is the, we talked about how you can export reports to Excel, PDF, uh, comma-separated files, 
uh, XML, uh, MHTML, HTML, and so forth. That, that's out of the box. You can create your own custom extensions as well. So if you wanted that word extension and you knew how to uh, do that, you could extend reporting services from that perspective. The most common extension is probably the delivery extension, which we talked about with the uh, sending it to a fax machine or sending it to a printer. Right. Um, and I believe I'm missing one. The other ways that you would extend reporting services are where you're getting your data from. So out of the box, you can get it from any OLADB source, uh, ADO, and so forth. Um, if there was something that you wanted to get from, say, say a web service call, and you want that's where you wanted to get your data set from, you can extend reporting services so that um, it would get its data from that. And all your code's service. doing is stuffing it into the data set somehow. Correct. So there are there are uh, plug-in points too, or are in the code. Is there a way that you can like uh, work with the objects directly in in a programmable way yeah there's a there, there's real good examples of how to do each each one of these hook points um, when you install the samples of reporting services but basically you're going to create an assembly file mm-hmm. and you're going to put it in a set location yeah and you're going to go into some of the configuration files that are available in reporting services you're going to say hey you need to read your extension you also need to read this additional one that I've added so you'd add some XML nodes into the config file um, that would tell it so that when you actually go in and you're managing it, you'll actually see your assemblies or your extensions in the dropdowns. So when you want to select this new Word extension, because you want to export your report to Word, it would show up in the dropdown. Or if it was the fax extension for the delivery, when you were creating a subscription, you would see that in the dropdown and reporting services through the configuration file and you know placing the assembly in the right place will know how to work with that. Okay. So it sounds like there really isn't. Uh, I mean, they've covered all the bases here. I'm trying to think of any anything that's lacking. Um, it's extensible. You can get your data from anywhere. You have a client side option, a server side uh, reporting, delivery options. Is, is there anything missing that you know that anything on your wish list? The, the biggest thing on my wish list is probably just making the uh, the jump from taking this from an intranet application to an internet application easier to do. Um, you know, it certainly is possible, but it takes a bit of white papers and going through and creating your own custom assemblies and getting it all set up to work with your website. That's you know, that's probably my biggest wish list. Um, but outside of that and generating very large reports, uh, sometimes you can bottleneck it a little bit in uh, generating re- very large reports, or exporting some of your very large reports into Excel and so forth. What does a large report look like? Well, and that's and that's where <laughs> sometimes you're sitting down with the client and you're like, really, you don't need this. Yeah. Um, because, <laughs> you know, I've, I've heard the argument, um, you know, of people who are like, well, I've got this report and it returns 300,000 rows, and what do you want me to do with it? I can't render it because it's taking 10 minutes. And I ask the question, how do you visually look at or examine or do anything from a report perspective with 300,000 rows. People right. find people do find some needs for it, um, and a lot of times it's more data dump than report. I remember a story where uh, a company was dumping their entire general ledger, and it was literally a case of ledger paper, and they'd carry <laughs> this obnoxious pile of paper into the controller who'd flip it over and tear the bottom sheet off with the summary totals on it. That was the only <laughs> thing you needed. <laughs> Oh, God. And, yeah. they, and the consultant at the time, a friend of mine named Peter, actually said, uh, would you like just that page? And he said, <laughs> uh, you could do that? 
That's uh, great. One other thing. Um, .NET Code Access Security, where does that play in uh, reporting services? That's certainly not my strong point, but um, anytime you're creating any of these extensions and these hooks, you have to give it the appropriate permission sets and so forth so that the rogue code isn't being implemented into reporting services environments and so forth. Right. So that's sort of the, the you've got to use this yes. for your extensions. Yes, yes. There's a little bit of a learning curve, um, and if you've done some work with the code access, you should be pretty familiar with how it works. But uh, code access security, let's face it, it's not trivial. No. And you, you know, you have to. Uh, it's been my experience anyway that in trying to set up these permission sets, that you're like, well, how should I know? You know, <laughs> you sort of like have to f- tell the future a little bit in terms yep. of. Yeah, so uh, it's that's been a difficult topic in general for developers to to grasp. So, um, so Brett, let's let's talk about your book. I mean, we've been talking about some of the various topics that you cover in the book. Uh, where can we get it? And do you have a blog? And you know, tell us a little bit about it. Um, yeah, I do. Uh, the the book's available on Amazon. Um, it should be available in some bookstores, but I think the best way to get it is probably Amazon.com. Um, okay. I, I do have a blog. I'm just kind of getting started on getting that set up. I'll, I'll provide a link to you guys uh, for that as well. Um, there's also an online author forum for the book. So if you go to uh, the link that I provide as well, www.manning.com slash uh it talks about the book, but then there's a link there. You can go to the, auth- uh, the, the forums, and we typically will discuss things, questions about the book or questions about the code samples. Uh, the book is, you know, packed full of uh, code samples that take you through the entire book. So, so are there any code camps or any any places you're going to be speaking in the near future? Yeah, actually, what, today's what the twelfth. I'm actually speaking right now here in Indianapolis. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, all right. Well, anyway, thanks. Uh, thanks so much. Anything else that you want to say or plug uh, before we go? Um, I don't think so. Thanks for having me on, guys. I love to talk about business intelligence and uh, reporting services and all that good stuff. So glad you guys had me on. Sure. Great. Thanks for being a guest. Thanks, guys. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a